Our reading today is 1 Timothy 1, 1 Timothy 1, 1 through 11. A lot of ones in there. <laughs> confused on that. As I was coming in this morning and, and going home from the funeral yesterday, I couldn't help but think of the, the beauty of the days, the, the gorgeous sun and the, the beautiful sky and just, uh, just it brought joy to my heart. I, I, I think of Howard and, and Eddie and, and so many others that have gone before us and of the joy that they experience now every day, no matter what. Just it's, it's such a hope that we have and a faith in Christ. It's, it just lifts us through everything. So let us continue to have that lifting us up. 1 Timothy 1, 1 through 11. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Unto Timothy, my son, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I besought thee to abide in Ephesus when I went to Macedonia, that thou mightst charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith. So do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart, and of a good conscience, and of faith unfeigned, from which some have swerved, have turned aside into vain genuine, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say, nor, nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good if a man uses it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for righteous men, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to the sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. We pray together. Dear Lord, we come to you this morning humbly and thank you, dear Lord, for your love and your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your constant presence through the Holy Spirit. We thank you for your salvation in Christ, who, for whosoever believes by our faith and through your grace, we find salvation. From our scripture this morning, Lord, we understand that we must stand true to your word. In order to do that, we must know and understand your word and be prepared to defend it, neither adding or subtracting from it. We must know the foundational truth of the good news of salvation through the shed blood and resurrection of Jesus the Messiah. We must love our neighbors and not judge, but show them God's forgiveness. Lord, we need your strength for all these things. We need your guidance. We pray the Spirit stays with us for that. And Lord, as we stand God over your truth, we stand guard over those elected authority over us through our involvement. And we must be involved, Lord, in government, our prayers for elected officials and our unwavering defense of Scripture that we don't judge but continue to hold true to the Lord. It's not about how we feel, Father. It's not about feelings and emotions. It's about knowing that you're in control and work everything for our good. And that, Lord, gives us a wonderful peace. And we thank you for that. Lord, today we also pray 
for Pastor Mark Stockwell and the Hope Community Bible Church. We pray for the strength and health of Pastor Stockwell and his family. We pray for the people in Hope Community Church, Bible Church, and they stay strong in your word and spread the gospel in their community. And Lord, we pray for their upcoming children's event that, may, that, would, that many would attend it. And many would be provided with your word and fellowship they can grow in and spread in their circles. And we can watch the gospel grow, Lord, through these children. Lord, we pray for Pastor Jamie and his family, giving them all they need to lead this flock of self-hope. Let the Spirit speak for him this morning, Lord, that we might leave here richer in the living word. And Lord God, we lift this to you in your son's holy name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Paul. Hey, you're getting a double dose of this passage because you might remember a couple weeks ago that big storm and my basement got some water in and I had to stay home and take care of that and uh, Birch picked up the Bible and said, all right, I'll try to teach from this passage here though I haven't prepared a sermon and uh, so, uh, and I didn't hear any of that so I don't know uh, if you held the line on that or not. You're back at it here in the same passage, 1 Timothy 1, and we've worked through 1 and 2 about three weeks ago now, and now we're in verses 3 through 11. And uh, this, is, this is an important passage here. In the context of this book here, Paul's writing to Timothy, who he's leaving in, in uh, Ephesus to deal with some of the things that he warned them in Acts chapter 20, when the elders, the shepherds at Ephesus, would come up. That even out of the elders, the shepherds there at Ephesus, there would be wolves who would teach and distract from the goal of repentance and faith in Christ that the church was to proclaim and build up the church. And so that's happened. Paul's prediction happened. And so now Timothy's going to be the key person here to deal with those false teaching and to strengthen those who are going to listen to the right teaching. In fact, you see this a few times in the book of 1 Timothy, you see the, the uh, in verse 4, teaching no, no other doctrine, either giving heed to fables and endless genealogies. What's that? Well, talk about that in a minute. Verse 6, in which some have swerved, having swerved, to turn aside the vain, genuine, or meaningless talk, empty talk. Down at the end of verse 20, um, Hymenaeus and Alexander, who he, he delivered to Satan. Perhaps they were, it seems like they were some of these guys that Paul already had to deal with. That they may learn not to blaspheme. Chapter 4. The Spirit speaks expressly in the latter times. Some shall depart from the faith giving need to seducing spirits and doctrines or teachings of demons or devils. Speaking lies. Um, uh, later on in verse 7. Chapter 4 verse 7. Refuse profane and old wise fables. But exercise, train yourself to godliness. In chapter 6, you have some of, the, some of the same things coming up again here. Um, verse 2, uh, 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 excuse me, these things teach and exhort in verse 2 and then in verse 3. If any man teach otherwise, then send or agree not to wholesome words, sound, life-giving words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine of teaching which, which is according to godliness, which agrees with godly living, he's proud, Knowing nothing, but doting or dwelling on questions and strifes of words, whereof come envy, strife, railings, abusive talk, evil surmisings, suspicions, 
perverse disputings, constant frictions of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gains guidance from such withdraw themselves. And then you'll see the bookend. So remember 1 Timothy 1, refuse these things, and now look at the bookend here. The other side, 1 Timothy 6, verse uh, verse 17. Charge them, the idea of charge comes up again. Uh, and then verse 19, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. O Timothy, guard, keep that which is committed to your trust. Guard what's been entrusted to you, avoiding profane, empty, worldly, uh, and vain, empty babblings and oppositions of science or knowledge falsely supported. With some profession of air concerning the faith, great faith, grace be with you. Amen. So you see the emphasis here. Here. That, that uh, sound teaching that is in line with what the Word of God says is key. There's a story about a man who walked in the restaurant and ordered a Coke. And as soon as he got it, he picks it up and he throws it in the waiter's face. And the waiter's ready to fight about it. But the man says, I'm so sorry. I have this horrible compulsion. I can't help it. Whenever somebody hands me a drink, I have to throw it back in their face. Please forgive me. And the guy says, I'm working really hard to overcome this compulsion. Could you bring me another Coke? <laughs> and so the waiter says, you promise not to throw it in my face? And the guy says, I'm going to do everything I can to not throw it in your face. I'm working really hard to resist this. So the waiter says, okay, I'll bring you another one. So the waiter comes back with another Coke. The guy, of course, throws it in the, in the waiter's face. And the waiter said, I thought you said you wouldn't do that. And the guy apologizes, oh, this compulsion is so strong. I promise I'm going to check myself into an inpatient clinic. I'm going to get some help here. Forgive me. I am so sorry. And so he checks himself into a clinic. And for one month, he gets this psychotherapy to deal with this compulsion. And when he gets out of the clinic, he goes back to the same restaurant. And he walks in and he says, I'm cured. Give me a drink. And the waiter says, wait a minute. I had to change my shirt the last time. How do I know that you're cured? And the guy says, I know I'm cured, I promise. And the waiter says, okay, if you're cured, I'll bring you a coat. And so the waiter brings him a coat, and the guy looks at it, and he throws it back on the waiter's face. And the waiter said, I thought you were cured. And the guy says, I'm cured. I still have the compulsion, but I don't feel guilty about it. <laughs> Teaching instruction that didn't change his life, right? It adjusted his perspective about it but not for good. And that's what Paul's talking about here. It is only the words of Scripture and holding the line of Scripture will change lives. You see, everything else just reshuffles the flesh. It just reshuffles what's in us. It's the Word of God that has the power to change lives. You'll notice here some emphasis here of, of wrong teaching, right? And so by, by Paul saying, hold on to this, he's saying, reject this. And what are the things that uh, he's rejecting? Well, reject anything that doesn't meet these parameters. And so the title of this message is the goal of our instruction, or the subtitle would be, for our specific context, this is a guideline for how to evaluate biblical teaching at South Oak Community Church and beyond. These are the parameters to think through the teaching at South Hope Community Church and beyond. Whether that's from myself, whether that's from other teachers, Sunday school teachers, 
whether that's from people's conversations here, this is to evaluate, to get us back to that line of Scripture here. And so what he's going to tell us is that teaching must produce a godly edification, which is in faith. It must produce love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. And it must be life-giving. Life-giving. In other words, teaching should produce Jesus in us. It's the goal of Scripture. To be conformity with the Son of God. And so on the opposite end of things, because sometimes it helps for me to hear what the opposite is, so I understand the positive, reject anything that doesn't meet these parameters. Such as, evil tearing down, which is from the flesh, rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Loving yourself from a corrupt heart, a defiled conscience, and a fake faith. Instead of loving from pure heart, good conscience, and sincere faith. And rejecting teaching of death. It produces an unsoundness. An unsoundness, a rottenness here. In other words, anything that produces not Jesus. Let's get rid of it. Let's get rid of it. Because the Word of God produces change, transformation. Godly teaching is in line, it's agreement with the good news of the glory of the blessed, the happy God that he has trusted home with. That's what verse 11 says. And so teaching that is not Jesus, anti-Jesus, is in line with the evil, rotting lie of the defeated serpent trying to destroy God's work. That's the key to this passage here. You're wondering, well, where does this come from? Well, look again here. He says, I urge you, I go to Macedonia, and I wanted you to stay in Ephesus, and I'm going to give you an authoritative charge. That's going to be passed on an authoritative charge, is that these guys teach no other doctrine. And what does he mean by that? No other doctrine than the doctrine that's been passed on, the traditions. But they don't give heed or pay attention to, to fables and endless genealogies that cause or minister questions. That means they cause disputes. They stir up unnecessary strife here. Instead of advancing God's plan, that's in faith. So what is he saying here? What he's saying is this. Number one, hold the line of Scripture. Hold the line. And what does that mean? That means that teaching, the teaching that happens, must not be adding to Scripture or taking away from Scripture. It must not be adding to the instruction that God gives, and it must not be reducing it, watering it down. There are a couple ways we're tempted to do that. There are a couple ways I'm tempted to do that. I'm tempted to cause my own, to, to bring my own opinions. And all of us, if we're honest, bring a bias to the text. And we can have a tendency to go on rabbit trails and tangents based on our experience. But the Word of God needs to be the thing that we hold the line. And so myself and Sunday school teachers, people who listen, you should be able to say, okay, that's, what is the point of this text? That is what I'm going to teach. That's the emphasis. Not my own two cents here. Not my own opinions. I'm going to teach a text that I'm not going to add to it. The point of the passage for the original audience is the point. We're not going to add to that. That's twisting scripture. And there's big problems with that. <laughs> In fact, Peter says, Paul's stuff is hard to understand. 
And some people, because it's hard to understand, they take it and they pervert it, they twist it. And they're corrupt. They're wicked people. So we're going to hold the line of Scripture not by adding to it, not by adding our own. Um, uh, and you might have an application of a portion of Scripture that you think this is the application I need to be, obey. That's fine. But understand where applications fit. There's a difference between application of Scripture and what the Scripture says is the clear principle. Okay? An application can grow out of that, but that's not what Scripture says. What Scripture says is what Scripture says. And also, detracting from Scripture. How do we detract from Scripture? Well, one of the ways we can detract from Scripture is because of cultural pressures, huh? You see a lot of a lot of things going on where people want to water down in the scriptures and say, "Well, I don't know that's what it's saying here because times are different, right?" That's a pretty pretty popular thing. There's pressure to do that. I feel that pressure. I hope you feel that pressure. But that pressure is there to test your allegiance, test your loyalty to Jesus. Jesus is King, and so we must not. Withdraw from Scripture. Something strong and powerful, that is what it is. And we must hold true to the point and the emphasis of the passage and not add our own thing to it or take away from it. So hold the line, number one. Number two, why do we need to hold the line? Because of what Scripture does. He'll talk about this in chapter 4, uh, or excuse me, in, in, in 2 Timothy more. But notice what he says. These empty things of fables and endless genealogies, in other words, things that people were adding and they were going down these rabbit trails and, and wormholes here with uh, Jewish ancestral genealogies and, and, uh, and, and, and surmisings and speculations about you know, this, this, this hidden truth that needed to come out that people were missing in the Bible. And, and later on he talks about those who want to be like rabbis of the law and have these... Um, uh, build these followings here for this previously unknown truth that they're arriving at here. And it's, it's, it's destroying the church. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff out there. A lot, of, a lot of Bible teachers out there promising stuff that you never knew before. I got this new teaching I discovered in the Bible. Um, or, or there's a code behind the original languages. If we just understand that code, then we'll really understand. You know, no, that's garbage. God's given us this. The scripture is sufficient, and He has given it to us. Hold the line. Hold the line of scripture. Well, why is it sufficient? Well, rather, those things cause disputes and arguments. They're empty. They're they're vain janglings. There, they're like a they're like a clanging gong. You think First Corinthians thirteen. Now he says, they cause disputes instead of, of, of godly edification which is in faith. That word there, godly edification here, it's understood here as, as, as um, uh, uh, furthering God's work. It's the idea of God's promised plan, this new administration of the local church. That's to be uh, multiplied throughout the world. And what Paul says is these things cause disputes and arguments rather than advancing God's plan throughout the world. That's what he's saying. Which is in faith. And so, it's important because it furthers God's work. It furthers God's work. So hold to the scripture because the scripture has the power to do what it needs to do. When we hold to it and we declare it and we share it and we live by it in accordance to it. In fact, in the book of Acts, over and over and over it says, the word of God prevailed. 
The word of God spread. The word of God multiplied. I think there's six or eight times here that, Paul, that Luke records in the book of Acts. And, and, and the multiplication of the church is due to the word of God uh, in their gathered settings and their scattered settings. Multiplying, multiplying. Well, the, the bad stuff doesn't do that. It's empty. Idle talk, vain janglings there. It's idle talk, meaningless talk. Um, the teachers that were teaching there, uh, the, end of, uh, <clears throat> the end of verse 7 says, They desire to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor where are they affirm. In other words, what Paul's saying is this. They don't know what they're talking about, and they're really, really confident about it. That's what he's saying. Remember that kind of garbage? <laughs> People just can spout off all kinds of stuff, and they really don't know what they're talking about, but they're sure confident about it. Can't be happening in God's church. Look what he says. What's their problem? Well, Paul says they want to teach the law, and Paul says, like he said in uh, Galatians, and he says in Romans 7, you know, the law is good, but you've got to use it rightly. So they're using it wrongly, God's law, Moses' law here. And what he says is the law is made for sinners. And his point is the law is to reveal our sin. And however these guys were wrongly using the law, they weren't using it properly because it wasn't bringing them to Jesus. Change. Paul says the law is our schoolmaster to bring us to faith. The law is like a mirror, right? Open the word of God, the law of liberty, James says, and it shows us what's wrong. Now, what if I looked at the mirror and I just said, wow, that's pretty messed up. And I looked at myself in the mirror. James says, you'd be a fool. Because what's the point of the mirror? It's to show you what's wrong so that, so that it gets fixed. And the Word of God is there to fix, to equip us to every good work. It's to change us here. And these people were just leaving it into speculation and digging out these things that they thought were previously unknown and, and speculations here. The Word of God is to change lives. And so if teaching isn't changing lives... It's just throwing out information, or it's going down these rabbit trails, or these tangents, or these opinions. And we got a problem here. It's to change lives. The purpose of the commandment, he said, is love, charity, from a pure heart, a good conscience, and from a sincere faith. There's, there's, a, there's a change here to produce something. And Paul is opposing this garbage because of what they produce, which is arguments, and what it's causing Christians to ignore. They're digging around in the manure pile instead of the market here of fresh fruits and vegetables and meat of God's Word. And that's where they're digging. And they're being distracted and it's always a ploy of Satan to distract us. He doesn't have to remove something. He can just distract us, right? Distract them from, from what they should be getting the instruction from God's word, the apostles' doctrine. And so, it's to, we're to hold the line, not add or take away. Uh, we're to further God's work through the word of God. That's what it's used for. And it's to be, uh, uh, have a goal here, the goal of our instruction, verse 5, the end, the goal of the commandment, instruction, is the idea there, is charity or love out of a pure heart, 
of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. It has to produce love from a pure heart. Is the word of God purifying you? It should be. If it's not purifying you, then it's not. Either you're being rebellious to it or you're not getting the teaching that purifies you. Is it, uh, is it, does it give you a good conscience? As you align yourself with the word of God, your conscience should be clear. Is it producing a genuine faith, a sincere faith, a faith unfeigned, a faith that is not fake here? That's what the teaching, the instruction, the goal should produce here. A love that comes out of that. And then notice at the end, after he lists all the things here that he says are to um, are, are what the law is for, in verse 10 he says, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. Literally, sound means healthy. Doctrine is teaching. So if there's any other thing that is contrary to healthy or life-giving teaching. So the the teaching must produce life. Have you you stepped on 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 a floor that the floorboard was rotten? That's unsound, right? It's unhealthy. But if you step on a fresh, newly milled floorboard, solid, right? It's solid. And that's the picture here. Rottenness versus life. And support can hold up and do what it's supposed to do. That's what teaching is supposed to do here. Um, and why, why is this so key here? Why do we need to reject anything that doesn't meet these parameters and cling and hold to the things that do? Why? Look at verse 11. Paul says this is in accord, in agreement, to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which is committed to my trust. Literally translated, it says this, in alignment, in agreement, with the gospel of the glory of the happy, the blessed God that was committed my trust. That was entrusted to me. Paul says. <clears throat> Think how healthy a life-giving gospel is. Think of what the purpose of the gospel is in that it displays God's glory. 2 Corinthians 4. Displays the beauty of God and what he accomplished. Think about that. It's an interesting phrase there, the blessed God. Um, a lot of times we just use that word as a Bible word, blessed. And we don't really think about what it means. But it literally means happy. God is the most happy being in the universe. Think about that. Somebody said this. God is the most joyous being in the universe. And he illustrates it this way. Well, I was teaching in South Africa some time ago. A young man took me out to see the beaches near his home in Fort Elizabeth. I was totally unprepared for the experience. I had seen beaches, or so I thought. But when we came over the rise where the sea and land opened up to us, I stood in stunned silence and then slowly walked toward the waves. Words cannot capture the view that confronted me. I realized that God sees this all the time. He sees it, experiences it, knows it from every possible point of view. This and billions of other scenes, like and unlike in this and billions of other worlds. 
Great tidal waves of joy must constantly wash through his being. We pay a lot of money to get a tank with a few tropical fish in it, and never tire of looking at their beauty and marvelous forms and movements. But God has seas full of them, which he constantly enjoys. We're enraptured by a well-done movie sequence, or by a few bars from a, from a song, or lines from a poem. We treasure our great experiences for a lifetime, and we may have very few of them, but he is simply one great, inexhaustible, and eternal experience of all that is good and true and beautiful and right. All the good and beautiful things from which we occasionally drink tiny droplets of soul exhilarating joy, God continuously experiences in all their breadth and depth and richness. You know what teaching should produce? The same kind of joy that our God has. In alignment with the good news of the glory of our joyful God. Powerful. Powerful. Now think about the good news. God who sent His eternal Son to add to His nature humanity so that He could be subjected to the things that we're subjected to. Suffering. Impatient. And yet without sin. And live perfectly in all respects. No pain. And K-N-O-W. No, no pain. No suffering. No grief. No rejection. No. Again, I'm saying knowing these things. He experienced that. So that he could become a faithful high priest. Able to identify with us. And then, he's rejected of men, and his instructions rejected, and he's taken and he's sacrificed as a Roman criminal on a cross, right? In our behalf. The most righteous, the most glorious, the most beautiful one, displayed on the cross, pinned to the cross, seemingly helplessly, yet he says he laid down his life. Killed at that cross, buried in that cold tomb, and bursting forth like the song says, right? Glorious light on that third day, coming out of the tomb. No body in the tomb. Walking out of the sealed tomb. Alive. Ascending on high. And promising to return. That's good news. And the promises all who turn to that will receive his son, the gift of his son, and be made his children. Sons of God, the words the Bible says. You've been given the authority by the King of Kings to become the son. That's good news. That's glorious, isn't it? And Paul says our teaching has to be in alignment with how glorious that is. And it must point to that. It must build to that. Right? If that's what transforms us and changes us in the truth, and the instructions, that has to be the foundation here. And Paul says in the next few verses, let me tell you a little bit about my story. Because I'm a pattern, I'm an example of that. I'm an exhibit of that glorious grace. I, before who was a blasphemer and a persecutor, have been redeemed. I've been changed 
in verses 12 through 17. And all he can do is, verse 17, is, is say, King, keep your eyes on the King. Keep your instruction connected to the King. And verse 18, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went on before you, that you by them might war a good warfare, holding, keeping the faith and a good conscience, which some have put away concerning faith of made shipwreck. Of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered to Satan, that they may learn not the blasphemy. Spiritual warfare. Evaluate our teaching by holding the line. Holding the line by making sure our teaching produces the goal of teaching, which is love. Which means less of me and more Jesus and others. And then thirdly, does it further God's work? So stay with the scripture says, not adding or taking away. Is it producing uh, 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 unnecessary emptiness here? Or is it producing love? And is it furthering God's plan for the nations? Lord, thank you that your gospel concerns your glory. And we're to set forth and proclaim the glory of God. Thank you that you are the blessed God. You're the source and fountain of all blessedness. And Lord, the, this gospel has been entrusted to Paul and has been passed on to us here. We pray that our, 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 our lives and our words would aid in the spread of Jesus Christ. Empty false teaching has given its energy to all kinds of replacements. And it has to stop. It has to stop with us. We've got to call it out. We pray.